Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information, or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. Good morning. My name is Jason Evans, and I have the privilege of coming to visit you from our diocesan offices in Houston. Uh, I bring you greetings from your bishops. I have the pleasure of serving on the bishop's staff. And for a good period of time, over a year, year and a half or so, I had the pleasure of serving with uh, Father John Newton, uh, who was chief of staff, as you know, before coming uh, here and called to serve here at St. Michael's. And so it's a real treat to come and be with all of you. Uh, and to see John again and hear about his ministry, see his ministry here with you all. Um, as part of my work, I also work with the deployment of church planters that the bishop calls, and I know that many of you know uh, Mother Bryn Bond, and I have the pleasure of working with her in the new church plant that she's working on. So greetings from so many fantastic people that I get to work with that are part of our broader diocesan family. Um, and I look forward to hopefully seeing some of you at a council when we gather uh, in, a, in less than a month now. Gosh. Well, I'm sure your minds are on uh, the game this afternoon. But if I could just distract you for a few minutes, I'd love to talk with you a little bit about this passage that we read this morning, this gospel passage. There's a lot going on in this passage. And it actually is kind of the second part of what was read last week in church if you were here, this, this gospel passage of, of Jesus going to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Like a good Jewish boy, I'm sure Jesus was in synagogue both Sabbaths growing up, and, but this particular Sabbath was different. This was going to be a different Sabbath. As we read last week, Jesus goes and he pulls one of the scrolls and he reads from the prophets. And he reads this passage that talks about it being the year of God's favor, that this is a special time, and that in this time, God's good news for the impoverished will be announced, that captives will be set free, that sight will be given to the blind, that people that are oppressed will be liberated. This is good news, and this is God's doing. And then we get to the scene we read this morning. Jesus is done reading. He rolls up the scroll from the prophets. He puts it back. And I have to imagine that every eye in the room was staring him down. Because this was an image that all of God's people in first century Palestine would have been familiar with. This idea of liberation, freedom, a return to wholeness and completeness. An image of what God's dream was for God's people would have been well known to any synagogue attending Jewish person in first century Palestine. But they had never seen that image take place. Where captives are set free, their debts are, are forgiven, where blind are given sight, where those that are oppressed and enslaved are set free. They had never seen this happen. In fact, Quite to the contrary, here was this small people group on the edge of the one world power at the time, the Roman Empire, occupied by military force. 
The image that Jesus just read about was not their lived experience. It felt like something that for generations was just pie in the sky, unobtainable. Something you couldn't depend upon or rely upon. I imagine their experience was probably not so different than when I told my grandmother while I was in high school. I had two really fascinating interactions in high school with my grandparents. Uh, But when I told my grandmother asked me what I was going to do in college, I said, Grandma, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to be an artist. And she said, and all of her southern charm, that's nice, dear. I hope you have a backup plan. And so I imagine that everybody sitting in the synagogue that morning heard what Jesus said and thought something not so different. That's nice, Jesus. I hope you have a backup plan. Because we've never seen anything remotely close to what that dream is of God's. It's not going to happen. It's a long shot. It's pie in the sky. It's a pipe dream. It's not happening, Jesus. So as Jesus rolls up that scroll and sets it in its place and then returns to his seat, every eye is watching to see what this young man is about to say. And as he sits down, he looks at all eyes upon him and he says, Today, this happens. Today, that passage is fulfilled. And you have to imagine, they're like, what did he have for breakfast? Is he crazy? Of course that's not happening. Look what we are. This is first century Palestine, Jesus. There's Roman centurions everywhere keeping us in line. We don't even get to rule our own nation. This is not happening right now. The passage kind of makes it sound like they think, oh, look at Joseph's son with his big dreams. That's probably not the tone of exactly what was going on in this situation. And more, it was a little aghast, maybe a little disgust. Who does this kid think he is? This is Joseph's son. He's just the boy of a day laborer. He's a poor country kid. Really, what's he going to do? Forgive debts? Is he going to lift the heel of the Roman Empire from our heads? Really? Who does he think he is? But Jesus, he knows this is coming. He knows that this is coming. And his response is so interesting. In effect, his response is something akin to, I know what's next, friends. I know you're, think, you're saying to yourself, we've heard some rumors of what you've done in Capernaum, but show us what you got, Jesus. Now you think you're such a big, tough guy? You think you can liberate your people? What do you got? They weren't ready for some young kid, some upshot, to be able to just come out the gate and say that God's audacious dream was actually obtainable. That was ludicrous. They had lost everything being an occupied people. The one thing they had going for them is they could read their ancient texts and practice their ancient ways of worshiping and be reminded of their specialness. Because that passage that Jesus read that we looked at last week That passage comes from this dream of God working through God's people to restore all of creation. It's this this image of a promise that God has made to God's people that they were beloved, they were special, they were chosen. And while they may not be experiencing what that dream was, at least they could get together on Sabbath and be reminded of their uniqueness. 
And this young upshot is going to come in here and mess with that, start telling us that we should actually be taking on this audacious goal, this uh, dream. It's impossible. It's unachievable, Jesus. And Jesus knows that. And so he, he, he responds in an interesting way. He follows that. I know what's on your mind. I know you think that this is crazy. You want me to prove it just so you can laugh at me and tell me I was wrong. And then he alludes to these two heroes of the faith. He alludes to a lot of these two stories of the prophet Elijah and Elisha. And just to recap really quickly, the story of Elisha is the story of a time of famine and drought, starvation. And Elijah goes to the house of one widow who has a boy. And this widow, as the story is told to us in Scripture, what we read is that she declares, even before Elijah's there, that you know, she's, she's on death's door. They're planning to die. It's that bad. But then Elijah comes knocking on the door and asking if he can stay for a while. And being a faithful follower of the one true God, she says, of course. And she welcomes Elijah into her home. And in matter of fact, her son does die. But then Elijah prays to God, and God brings this boy back to life. But Jesus doesn't stop with alluding to this one story. He tells another story or alludes to another story about Elisha. And in this story, it's of a military leader who has leprosy. And in that story, what happens is, is someone recommends, you know, you, I've heard about this holy man, this, this prophet Elisha. You might want to go see him. He might be able to help you out. So this military leader takes his entourage with him, and, with him and goes down to meet with Elisha. And as the entourage is approaching, Elisha doesn't even bother to go out and roll out the red carpet for this military leader. He sends out an assistant to go tell the gentleman that he should go down to the riverside and take a bath. And understandingly, the, this guy's a little incensed. He's like, are you kidding me? You're going to tell me I smell? I need to go take a bath? I'm here for healing, and you're, you won't even come out and see me. You send out an assistant, and I'm supposed to go take a bath? He's angry about this. But finally, some of his folks are like, you know, you could take a bath. It wouldn't be a bad thing. You know, why don't you just try it? See what happens. You know, why not? So he goes down and he takes a bath in this particular way that Elisha tells him, and he's healed. And what Jesus is saying when he, recaps, he recounts these tales is he says, listen, there was a lot of people starving in that time, and Elijah nourished one household. In Elisha's time, there were a lot of people that were dying of leprosy, and Elisha helped one person come to God's healing. In other words, you all think you're just sitting perfect and you, at least you have this one idea of being special and God is going to go about God's dream of reconciliation and redemption no matter if it's just one disease general and one poor widow, God is going to do it. They heard what he was implying. Wait, 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 wait. The promise was with all of us, the Jewish people. God's not going to go about doing this without us, Jesus. Are you implying that God doesn't need us? They were incensed. They were angry for him implying that somehow their uniqueness was not just 
tied to that idea, but that it was actually tied to participating in what the God's dream was for the world. And so the story goes, they try to kill him. I think throughout the history of the church, we have at many times struggled with this same concept. We, we want to be unique. We want to be special. We want to come and participate in the, these age-old traditions. And we forget that the reason why we do this, the reason why we come to this table every week is so that we are fed and nourished and be sent back out into the world to be the hands and feet of our Savior, to participate in this vision of reconciliation and redemption that God is going about in the world through Jesus Christ. We talk about this term in this diocese a lot. Bishop Doyle started using this term a lot about five years, years ago, six years ago, missional. And that term, really what it's getting at is that God does have a mission of the, of, in this world. God is going about the redemption and renewal and reconciliation of all things. And God is going to do that whether or not you and I participate with God or not. I mean, this, in this moment, Jesus is trying to help God's people gathered in that synagogue understand that, that God is up to this people. God wants to heal this broken world. And God's going to do it whether or not you get on board. But God's going to do it. So will you join God or not? And often we, we, we feel so threatened by just, don't mess with my, my identity. Don't mess with what's sacred and safe to me. And Jesus just continues to invite us out into this audacious goal, this audacious dream. So what does that mean for us today? As I was thinking about this and preparing for this morning, I, I kept finding myself going back to the Jeremiah passage we read this morning. Because I think that sometimes the reason why we, like the people in that synagogue that day, can get mad at being called to such an audacious vision for what God is calling us to in the world is because we're not so sure we are special. We're not so sure we are chosen. We're not so sure we're capable of participating in that kind of an audacious dream. I mean, the whole world? Reconciled and redeemed? Ha! Me? What do I got? This is why we send people to seminary, isn't it? So they can get all the fancy words and learn how to go visit people in the hospital and be near those that are on the edge of society, right? That's, they, they know how to do that. I'm just a teacher, a plumber, a stay-at-home parent, an attorney, a student, a retired engineer, a scout. Some, I'm not, I can't do that. So we cling as hard as we can to at least something that'll tell me I'm special. I'm special. And what Jesus is trying to bring God's people back to in this passage is a reminder that we find our calling, we find that relationship with our maker in being with Christ in this mission in the world. Maybe it's not that we're like my grandmother, hearing what God has called us to be and do through our baptismal covenant in the world, that we, we, we hear that announcement. And maybe it isn't that we're, we hear that and say, that's nice, dear. I hope you have a backup plan. Maybe we're not saying that so much. Or if we are, it's only because we've forgotten 
how much God loves us and longs to partner with us in this vision. That Jeremiah passage, hear this this morning because it's for all of us, each and every one of you. That God knew you and loved you before you were even born. God loved the mere idea of you being here. And God still considers you beloved, created in God's image, and through Christ invited to be a part of this audacious vision of loving the world back to wholeness. That's what we're called to do. But it's hard to remind a world of its belovedness if we haven't been reminded of our own. So if you take away anything this morning, from this talk and distra distraction from what's going on to later today in the Super Bowl, I hope you were reminded this, of God's love for you, even before you were born. That the mere idea of being able to partner with you in whatever way that looks like, no matter how small or big, no matter who you are, thrilled your maker. Thrilled your maker that there is nothing you have to do or be, but just be yourself to partner with God in that work. It's not about how much money you have, how healthy you are, how beautiful, how capable, just because you are you. And I think that the spirit, that God looks down on us and is calling us to be reminded The Spirit of God is upon you. That this is the year of God's favor. To partner with the beloved and loving the world back to wholeness. That's a nice idea, dear. But there is no backup plan. Amen.